There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 2nd of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, the Ukrainian president appeared by video link to speak to members of the European Parliament. Every day, for some people, this day is not good. For some people, this day is the last one. I speak today now about my citizens, citizens of Ukraine who are defending by paying the ultimate price, they defending freedom. Vladimir Zelensky heard MEPs express their unequivocal support for Ukraine. I'm very happy that what I've seen here now and heard here now, I'm very glad to sense this mood. The uniting, unifying mood. I'm happy that we have unified today, all of you, all the countries of the European Union. But I did not know But this is the, that this is the price that we'll have to pay. And this is a tragedy for, our, for me, it's a tragedy for every Ukrainian, tragedy for our state. I mean, this, this high price, very high price. Thousands of people who were killed. Two revolutions, one war. And five days of full-scale invasion of the Russian Federation. President Zelensky spelled out what life means living in war-torn Ukraine. Now we're dealing with reality. We're dealing with killed people, real life, you know. And, you know, I believe that we today, we're giving lives for values, for rights, for freedom, for the desire to be equal as much as you are. We are giving away our best people, the strongest ones, the most value-based ones. Ukrainians are incredible. Vladimir Zelensky, we'll hear more from uh, the Ukrainian president uh, later in uh, the programme. The the president was speaking via video link through a translator to the European Parliament. Yes, let's speak to Jim Roach, the PRO with uh, the Irish anti-war movement now. Good morning to you, Jim, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. It seems uh, to be a choice of fight or surrender nobody likes war but that would appear to be the situation this morning 
Good morning, Michael, and thanks for having us on again. Uh, look, that was a very moving speech, I have to say, and you saw the emotion in the in the translator there. Um, and Zelensky, in a way, is caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, like all Ukrainians, uh, this invasion is is brutal. It uh, is unjustified, and we totally condemn it. And we call for it to stop and for Russian troops to be uh, taken out. However, how how do you do this is the mm. big question. Yeah, because um, those calls think, are falling on deaf ears. Yeah, well, I think what we need to do, though, is, like, the President Zelensky and his team have engaged in peace negotiations, and that has to be the only way forward. Militarization is not the answer, and what we're seeing, the response we're seeing from the U.S., and I'll quote President Biden, if you want me to, uh, from the U.S. and the EU, is just so wrong. It's the wrong thing. It's going to pour... Um, you know, um, fuel on on a on a horrific cauldron and make the war worse and make the suffering worse for the people of Ukraine. Uh, how do you do it? You have to. Uh, I mean, again, he, the the peace talks that have happened, they were met with derision by by EU governments and not supported, and they should be supporting them. How can you um, rationalise with a, a madman, though? Well, uh, look, you may you may have a point there about the the mental health of Mr. Putin, and uh, I, I don't really want to go there. Mm. I, I think that there, it is a government still, and there are people around them, and of course the hope is, and we take great succour from the protesters, by ordin- from the protests by ordinary Russians who have, you know, put their lives at risk, and so many have been arrested and beaten up, etc. Mm. So uh, it's difficult. It's a difficult question, I accept that, but I don't It's think an almost I, impossible I, question, it's yeah, not yeah, in yeah. fairness. I, I mean... Yeah, the, at the same time, sorry, Michael, if I can just finish, mm. I, I don't think... I don't think the, we can buy into that argument that this is just happening because Putin is mad. That's not the only reason this is happening. And uh, there, there, this goes back, uh, one could argue it goes back over 30 years to the end of the Cold War. And I don't want to go into the history of it, but uh, NATO is not totally clean here in this. And uh, while we totally condemn the war and it's unjustified, it is not entirely unprovoked. And I think, and I know John made the point last week, that the U- the Ukrainians have been used as pawns here, and the fact that we've seen this horrible, mm. but they're going to be civilization. I mean, this well, is the well, problem. I know, that, that, I mean, that's that's the shocking thing. Mm. You know, like I mean, you're not going to take on the Russian army with Molotov cocktails. I know, uh, they are I know, going, the, I know. The, the, the I know, country is the country so is going hard. to be flattened, and the adult male population of the country is going to be slaughtered. That is the real danger. That is the serious danger. And Kiev could be totally destroyed. It could look like Aleppo in a few weeks' time. And you, you say know. that the sanctions are over the top, but they in themselves won't prevent this. No, they won't. And also, there's a lot of hypocrisy around the, sh- the sanctions as well. I mean, I, I read on a tweet that Alexander Chermerko, one of the oligarchs in, in Britain, he's an arm, Russian arms dealer, and he donated 375000 to the Tory party, you know. So there's all kinds of hypocrisies out there. There's hypocrisies by the, by the Western government and by the, the mainstream media about how, uh, how they're representing this. And, of course, it is important we hear... The, the, the personal stories of the suffering and the suffering of the, the, how the refu- refugees are coping. It's very important we hear mm. that. But there's, it has to be balanced with the question, what do we do here? And the only, the only solution that's been presented is we militarize the EU. We send loads of armaments to mm. the people of Ukraine. We help Ukrainian men to go back and fight. 
and it'll be all great. It's okay, but, it, but 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 in lieu of that, I mean, I think you've almost uh, agreed that what we're going to see is uh, the country flattened and uh, the adult population slaughtered, uh, and there's the prospect of it extending beyond that. Uh, with, uh, I haven't new- totally agreed that, Michael, but go on. Okay, well... What else will happen if that's not the case? Well, there, there, there has to be calls for peace talks. Mm. That is the only hope. And fair play to President Zelensky and mm. his team. They, they have engaged in peace talks. And I know that the other side will be um, manipulating those as well. But if, if there was some uh, movement from the Western government supporting peace talks, then they might be taken seriously by the Russian government. Okay. And, uh, but but do, you, do, do you actually have any confidence, much confidence, if any confidence, in those peace talks being successful? I, I would have confidence if, if they were being supported by the Western governments, but they're not. And there was some hope in well, the early uh, stages d- of this, just I, prior to the invasion with, 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 with France and Germany, going back to the Minsk II agreement as, as a kind of starting point. Uh, and now they've they've become totally militaristic. Even Germany now is, is okay. But uh, it comes back to the question of fight or surrender. If the Ukrainians uh, decided to surrender and uh, allow for a Russian occupation, that might bring about peace. That is one option that would work. But outside of that, I don't think there's any certainty or any confidence in any other resolution to all of this. And uh, well, if Russia moves in and occupies. Ukraine, which seems inevitable, what then? Will it extend out into the other Balkan states? I, let's, let's not be predicting that or, or foreseeing that. I don't think it would, because um, as, as, mad, as mad and as bad as Putin is, mm. uh, um, uh, I, he, he does not want a war with NATO. Okay, but if Putin moves his nuclear missiles into Ukraine and into Belarus and then looks uh, to Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia, what then? It's too late to backtrack and say we should have intervened uh, back in March. What we need to do is present the anti-war. We, we need to build the anti-war movement internationally. We need to take succor from the Russian protesters and support them. Uh, that there are, I believe there are Ukrainians who are, uh, I, I get, oh, they're obviously against the war, but they're also against the, the, uh, the, 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 military, the further militarization of the war. The, the, it's the only hope is to call for uh, peaceful negotiations and not be warmongering. And if I can quote President Biden, just mm-hmm. the last few lines of, of mm-hmm. his speech, which I heard on RTE this morning, right? He said this invasion was totally unprovoked. That's not true. He re- he said that Putin rejected repeated efforts at diplomacy. That's not totally true. Uh, he said that uh, we have countered the Russian lies with the truth. That's not totally true. And then he ended by saying, "God bless our troops. Thank you. Go get him." Now, what kind of talk is that for? a US president that is pure and utter warmongering well we'll hear we'll we'll hear we'll hear some of that speech later in the program but is there not a time when war is the only option and is this not that time no definitely not there are some times when it's hard to avoid war but this is not one of them this war could have been avoided and we have to make that argument and we have to call out people like Joe Biden and Boris Johnson and the, the other the warmongers in Europe and indeed our own Irish government here 
for uh, not presenting a, a case for peace, for not calling for diplomacy, for not calling for peace negotiations. Uh, and, and we really have to call. And we also have OK, to call, but uh, yesterday we were talking about burying 16 Ukrainian children. I'm not sure uh, if know, uh, that toll has uh, increased today. No doubt it has. And no doubt over the course of this year is going to increase dramatically. Uh, and the year after, uh, because this is a long way off being over. I know, Michael, look, it's horrifying what's on our I'm watching the, the news last night and, 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 and follow various people on Twitter and seeing that the, that awful explosion in Kharkiv was clearly a war crime, no question of it, that, that killed, I understand it killed a family in a car and stuff. Awful stuff and pure war crimes by the Russian military. And this needs to be condemned and there needs to be a war crimes tribunal ultimately. But at the same time, we we can't we can't resolve this by further conflict and uh, are, are escalating that conflict, if you like. And mm. that's why we've actually called, the, like the Stop the War Coalition in Britain has called the protest for Sunday. We've called the protest in Dublin for Sunday, 2pm, meeting at the Spire to march to the uh, uh, Department of Foreign Affairs. We're saying support the Russian protesters, stop Putin's invasion, no to militarisation, and that NATO is not the answer. And there are our main slogans. But, uh, all of that sounds contradictory. Why, why is it contradictory? Well, I mean, how do you uh, stop the Russian invasion uh, if you turn a blind eye? What do you do to stop it? Well, no, you're suggesting that the only way to stop the, the Russian well, invasion no, uh, is, is, is... No, I'm asking, you what, I'm asking you what uh, other way is there other than militarisation? Through calling, OK. Uh, and there's a very good letter in the Irish Times today by Roger Cole from Pana calling on President Biden to call a, uh, a peace conference. Um, and that publicly announced that NATO expansion is over for good and that Ukraine, Georgia and Moldova will not be joining NATO as member states. That might be a start uh, because this, this is part of the problem. There's no question that Russia is using the excuse of the threat to its security. And on what basis would Joe Biden years. say that? I mean, they're sovereign states. Well, he could say it on the state that this is, is the best way to create peace in Europe. And to create peace with Russia. That, and I mean, this should have had, like, this discussion should have happened 30 years ago. This is the problem. And promises were made to Russia. So, so Russia can dictate to sovereign countries what they can and can't do. What else should well, Russia... Well, well, I mean, well, if, why, Russia, if Russia can tell Ukraine or Georgia or elsewhere that they can't join NATO, what else can they dictate to them? No, but why? I mean, how, how, how is it that NATO can dictate to all, all kinds of countries what they can do? And we, we know that NATO has illegally invaded and bombed countries. If we think of Af- Afghanistan, Iraq and Libya, and it has um, manoeuvred its way into Eastern Europe. And I, I, can, understand, I can understand why that happened as well. I, I, have, I have a long connection with Poland and friends there, and I, 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 I understand their their fears, etc. But uh, we have to acknowledge that, the, in, in my view, and again, it's partly a personal view, the best solution would be to create a neutral block of countries between the boundaries of Russia and uh, um, NATO countries in Europe. If you could guarantee, provided you could guarantee uh, that there would be no incursions by either side. Mm. And that, that trade and all those things, you know, trade it, and, and cultural exchanges... Is there, ta- is there the any, time uh, and space to put caveats into all of this when you've a 60-kilometre convoy heading for Kiev? I know 
Michael, it is very hard. And part, of, believe me, there is part of me that says, "Oh well, you know, I, I hope, I hope that the the Ukrainian resistance army, both the army and the people, take out as many Russian troops as possible, and that that will cause." an uprising in Russia that will overthrow Putin. God, that's an that, awful that's thought. Not going, that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's, that's, that's surpri- not going to happen. I, I'm really not, surprised to hear you say that no, because no, but, no, I no, thought, they're, they're I thought okay. Russian blood was as precious as any blood. No, no, but of course it is. And that's the problem. Like, that's what we have to recognise here. I'm I, I just saying that, that, that there, there is that feeling among, uh, among people, right? But it's wrong. It's really, really wrong. It doesn't work. Uh, Russian young Russian conscripts are there. Probably don't know what they're doing there. Probably mm, mm. Uh, n- not by a, you know. Probably just for a job, like many U- U.S. troops were in uh, yep. uh, Iraq. You know, just for a job. It's and, always uh, our young boys who are sent to exactly, war. Exactly, yep. exactly. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm totally. Against, I mean, this will not. That's why we have to argue. The only the only way forward is for peace talks, and for, that there, there must be a ceasefire. There must be peace talks and there must be a new architecture of security created in Ukraine and indeed in other countries yeah. in Eastern Europe. We were listening to the water boys talking about going to Kiev uh, on the programme last week and uh, Mike Scott seeing an American as a Russian soldier in the song for the first time who he said looked a lot like me, came from some place called Tennessee. This is history. This is what uh, the world uh, does historically. It is human nature to some degree and we do not learn from from history, history is repeating itself all over again. Well, that's the other terrible thing that's happening. And I mean, we're, one of the reasons that um, particularly the US and Britain, but other Western governments as well are doing this so they can, we can all forget the horrors of the wars that they created in, in the last 20 years in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, etc. Uh, and of course, the, the current war that's going on in Yemen, which is utterly supported mm. by the US and Britain. So there's no question of that. This is a nice, convenient way to forget all that and to uh, let's get out, let's have a little war here and we'll support the gallant, I mean, the language that's been used is very scary, the gallant Ukrainians, the glory has been mentioned so many times, very, very dangerous stuff, very dangerous. And what they should be doing is supporting President Zelensky in his attempt to have peace talks with the Russians. And again, that is not in any way uh, uh, supporting what... uh, Putin and the oligarchs around him are doing, but it, it, it is a recognition that this is, is is more complex than it's being presented. That's all, and okay. also try to try to find a way to get out of this with the least possible number of deaths and killings and maimings and destruction of cities. All right, thanks as always, Jim, for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning. Jim Roach is PRO with uh, the Irish Anti-War Movement. Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as uh, Ukraine feels uh, the might of uh, the Russian army, the rest of uh, the world expresses its solidarity with Ukraine. I say, long live Europe, and long live a free and independent Ukraine. Mesvame, slava, Ukraine. We are with you. Glory be to Ukraine. That was the message from the European Union. Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, lining up with all of the world's leaders to condemn the Russian incursion and to offer help where possible. The biggest challenge facing us as a country, I believe, is that we must be very, very generous in terms of the refugee crisis that will undoubtedly flow as a result of this war. It will be beyond anything that we've comprehended before 
And I've said to our, my colleagues in government and to departments, we must put to one side what we might have considered to be the norms in terms of responding in a humanitarian way to the, to, to the plight of the Ukrainian people. The Taoiseach, Michal Martin, in deciding how many refugees to welcome into Ireland, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, will agree those numbers with her European counterparts this week. Uh, Justice Minister, Home Affairs Ministers will meet on Thursday to ratify this, uh, but we're making... Um, very liberal, understandably so, for, for Ukrainian people fleeing Ukraine to come to this country, indeed to any European country, but to Ireland, um, into, and for, will be able to stay here uh, under the temporary protection mechanism for quite a considerable length of time, have access to our social protection system, uh, housing, uh, the education system. Uh, so we will involve a levelling up you, in terms of humanitarian response in this country. We will work with countries closer to the border of Ukraine and on the border of Ukraine in respect of burden sharing across the European Union and making our, our contributing our fair share and facilitating then logistically transfers of people uh, to Ireland where that would be required. Solidarity with Ukraine in the Irish Parliament, solidarity with Ukraine in the European Parliament. Vladimir Putin launched a brutal, massive invasion of Ukraine an unjustified and unprovoked war based on despicable lies and he did it only for one reason because you dear Vladimir Zelensky you dear people of Ukraine in Maidan you made the choice of freedom democracy and rule of law and dear colleagues it's not only Ukraine that's under attack International law, rules-based international order, democracy, human dignity are also under attack. This is geopolitical terrorism, pure and simple. The President of uh, the European Council, Charles Michel. Europe says it is acting against Russia in a way that has never been seen in Europe before. And you know what? Now, half of the reserves of the Central Bank of Russia are completely out of their control. They are frozen. Do you imagine? This is a coercion capacity. Three days ago it was impossible and now it's possible and they are start feeling the consequences in terms of inflation and the fall of their currency. Yes, we have capacities, we have mobilized these capacities and we have to continue doing so. Putting together the capacities of the member states and the European Union, I want to remember you that the European Peace Facility is not part of the budget that you vote is another budget, is an instrumental fund managed by the member states because we claim that we European Union with a peaceful force and we cannot provide arms to anyone else. Yes, we can. Yes, we have done. On the next budget, think about it. Once you vote the next budget, use your budgetary capacity, you have the budgetary capacity of this institution to put the ways and means in order to face the next crisis and the next Russian aggression. The Vice President of the European Commission, Joseph Burrell, there. Now, Europe's actions will hurt Russia, but Europe is also going to bear the brunt. I am well aware that these sanctions will come at a cost for our economy too. I know this. 
and I want to speak honestly to the people of Europe. We have endured two years of pandemic and we all wished that we could focus on our economic and social recovery. But I believe the people of Europe understand very well that we must stand up against this cruel aggression. Yes, protecting our liberty comes at a price, but this is a defining moment and this is the cost we are willing to pay because freedom is priceless, honorable members. This is our principle. Freedom is priceless. Our investments today will make us more independent tomorrow. And I'm thinking first and foremost about our energy security. We simply cannot rely so much on a supplier that explicitly threatens us. And this is why we reached out to other global suppliers and they responded. Norway is stepping up. In January, we had the record supply of LNG gas. We're building new LNG terminals and working on interconnectors. But in the long run, it is our switch to renewables and hydrogen that will make us truly independent. We have to accelerate the green transition because every kilowatt hour of electricity Europe generates from solar, wind, hydropower or biomass reduces our dependency on Russian gas and other energy sources. This is a strategic investment. And my honorable members, this is a strategic investment because on top, less dependency on Russian gas and other fuel, fossil fuel sources also means less money for the Kremlin's war chest. This is also a truth. Ursula von der Leyen. In America, Joe Biden gave his first State of the Union address. Putin is now isolated from the world more than he has ever been. Together... And war in Ukraine was uh, to top the president's agenda. Together, along with our allies, we are right now enforcing powerful economic sanctions. We're cutting off Russia's largest banks in the international financial system, preventing Russia's central bank from defending the Russian ruble, making Putin's $630 billion war fund worthless. We're choking Russia's access. We're choking Russia's access to technology that will sap its economic strength and weaken its military for years to come. Tonight, I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more. The United States... I mean it. The United States... The Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for you, ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. Leaders across uh, the Atlantic are determined. We are resolute. Europe can rise up to the challenge. The same is true on defence. European security and defence has evolved more in the last six days 
than in the last two decades. Most member states have promised deliveries of military equipment to Ukraine. Germany announced that it will meet the 2% goal of NATO as soon as possible. And our union, for the first time ever, is using the European budget to purchase and deliver military equipment to a country that is under attack. 500 million euros for the European Peace Facility to support Ukraine's defense. As a first batch, we will now also match this by at least 500 million euro from the EU budget to deal with the humanitarian consequences of this tragic war, both in the country and for the refugees. Honorable members, this is a watershed moment for our union. We cannot take our security and the protection of people for granted. We have to stand up for it. We have to invest in it. We have to carry our fair share of the responsibility. And this crisis is changing Europe. But Russia has also reached a crossroad. The actions of the Kremlin are severely damaging the long-term interests of Russia and its people. More and more Russians understand this as well. They are marching for peace and freedom. And how does the Kremlin respond to this? By arresting thousands of them. But ultimately, the longing for peace and freedom cannot be silenced. There is another Russia besides Putin's tanks. And we extend our hand of friendship to this other Russia. Be assured, they have our support. In Europe and in the United States, leaders believe sanctions will have an impact on Russia. The Russian stock market has lost 40% of its value and trading remains suspended. The Russian economy is reeling and Putin alone is the one to blame. Together with our allies, we're providing support to the Ukrainians in their fight for freedom. Military assistance, economic assistance, humanitarian assistance, we're giving more than a billion dollars of direct assistance to Ukraine and will continue to aid the Ukrainian people as they defend their country and help ease their suffering. President Joe Biden back in the European Parliament. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky appealed to MEPs for their help. We're fighting just for our land and for our freedom, despite the fact that all large cities of our country are now blocked. Nobody is going to enter and intervene with our freedom and country. And believe you me, every square of today, no matter what it's called, is going to be called, as today, Freedom Square in every city of our country. Nobody's going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians. We have a desire to see our children alive. I think it's a fair one. Yesterday, 16 children were killed 
again and again, President Putin is going to say that is some kind of operation and we are hitting a military infrastructure. Where are our children? What kind of military factories do they work at? What tanks are they going with or launching cruise missiles? He killed 16 people just yesterday. Duke. Our people are very much motivated, very much so. We are fighting for our rights, for our freedoms, for life, for our life. And now we're boring for we're fighting for survival. And this is the highest of our motivation. Fighting, yes, but Zelensky called on MEPs for more than just words of support. But we are fighting also to be equal members of Europe. I believe that today we are showing everybody that's exactly what we are. The European Union is going to be much stronger with us, that's for sure. Without you, Ukraine is going to be lonely, lonesome. We have proven our strengths. We have proven that as at a minimum, we are exactly the same as you are. So do prove that you are with us. Do prove that you will not let us go. Do prove that you indeed are Europeans. And then life will win over death and light will win over darkness. Glory be to Ukraine. Michael Reed on LMFM. Quite a, a number of attacks on members of Garda Síochána locally in recent weeks. You'll remember, I'm sure, the two Gardaí who were rammed uh, in uh, the patrol car in uh, the middle of uh, Dundalk or the three Gardaí uh, who were assaulted, uh, it seems, by a huge group of youths who gathered in Navan uh, just uh, the other day. And, uh, of course, uh, one of uh, the most shocking has been uh, that attack uh, that happened on a young guard at two o'clock in the morning on Monday night, Tuesday morning of this week, 29-year-old Porrick Scott, uh, as he's named in the newspapers uh, this morning, was subjected to uh, being held at gunpoint, hit over the head, doused in petrol and all sorts of things. Uh, it's a real mystery as to what happened and how it happened and why it happened uh, for that matter. Let's uh, speak now, though, to Brendan O'Connor, who's the Vice President of the Garda Representative Association and a very Good morning to you, Brendan, and thank you indeed for joining Good us morning, on. Good morning, That was really a dreadful attack on Porrig Scott. Uh, what do you know about his health this morning? Well, Porrig was released from hospital, so he's at home recovering uh, with his, uh, his doses. So um, we extend him our wishes. He's uh, making a bit of progress, but um, he has um, he has his, his physical injuries and he also was very traumatised after what happened. So uh, that's really all I can say about his exceptional health. Okay, uh, and is he able to help the investigation? Because there are reports uh, that he's suffering some sort of memory loss. Um, well, look, I, I don't want to uh, okay. divulge any details in relation to man's exact details of his health or what would maybe influence or compromise the investigation, but he certainly is able to, to recall and provide information and be a valuable 
injured party are witness to the investigation. Obviously, it's a, an ongoing investigation, and uh, I'm sure you'd appeal to anybody who might have some information uh, to make that known to on Garda Shia Khanna. Uh, but uh, as mentioned at the outset, uh, attacks on Garda are, are not the rare thing that once they were becoming all too commonplace. And uh, I think after the attack in Dundalk on two members of the force, the, the GRA uh, were saying that you go out to work in the morning and you don't know if you're going to come home at the end of your shift. Yes, unfortunately, that uh, look at policing has always been considered a dangerous profession. It's something that guards live with since the inception of the state. Um, I suppose people in Laos are very, very aware of that, given that the last two, last three, sorry, two of the last three members have lost their lives, and in circumstances have actually been in County Laos. But the attacks that you referred to, Navin and Dundalk and the other night in Cavan, shows that. You know, this can happen anywhere. You know, a public order incident in Navan, a traffic stop in Dundalk, and a guard on routine patrol in rural Ireland. All incidents that have left guards um, injured and in some cases, you know, potentially life-threatening situations mm. that can arise in an instant in any location. It's not a case now where you worry about a guard in a city centre beast. It can just happen anywhere in the yeah. country. And well, there was a, a lot of us scratching our heads, uh, I think, wondering why a guard was on patrol on his own at that hour of the morning or any hour of uh, the day, for that matter. Uh, would that be uh, a feeling that's shared by your members? It would be a concern, and it would be something that has raised its head in the past, and it's something that we have certainly worried about. And um, Some of our members maybe would, you know, are convinced that there's no place for... for, for single crewing, but certainly after dark and in locations. And uh, when there's such a dearth in members, you know, it, it, it's one thing being on your own, knowing that there's someone a short distance away. I mean, but it's the problem in rural Ireland is that the resources have been depleted to such levels that members just simply don't have any confidence because they just know backup is very far away. Technology is not what it ought to be. You know, even the communication the control rooms, I mean, we're talking about appealing for witnesses and as has been pointed out, you know, if you watch those TV programs across the world, you see a police car pull up, you'll see the vehicle that's being stopped. There'll be some evidence, but we just don't have that recording capacity. So the systems that are in place and the technology um, certainly need to be looked at. And, you know, that's something that we think really needs to be reconsidered in the light of because this is an upward trajectory in these assaults and they seem to be getting more and more serious. So mm. um, I suppose what the last thing we want is to be scaremongering, but we don't want criminals to think, yeah, if you take out or you... This, the move, if you if you if you deal with the one guard that 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 is in front of you, you're home and dry. You just got to get away from one, and that's the danger of depleting policing resources and not having the state's response there to prevent crime. And you know, mm. these people, we don't know the investigation, what was happening, why, but those. No, people with, with a firearm in rural Ireland. And that's the mystery, and you'll hear politicians or others, for that better, say you fight fire with fire, but you can't uh, fight uh, an armed raider if you're unarmed. Uh, is there a case for arming the force? But certainly we would feel, I don't know about routine arming, but certainly there needs to be a better capacity to arm at the scramble unit in circumstances where these situations arise. Now, I understand that the, the, the arm response was actually quite good the other night, but it's very patchy and it's very much, uh, you're at the mercy of um, circumstances that are just really, you just don't know on a given night uh, where your arm support would be, how far away they've been called, because they're spread very thin on the ground. But okay. certainly... Mm. There's non-lethal weapons like tasers need to be considered. And if you look at the uh, Scotland, whenever Police Scotland rolled out their tasers, their priority wasn't 
for the guys and girls in the city centre of Glasgow, it was for the members in the Highlands, because they recognised the unique circumstances of rural police and, and exposure for their members. Okay. So that's something we've called on for years too. All right. Well, I think we're all very disturbed by it. I have to leave it there because we've run over time. But thank you for your time and for joining us on uh, the programme uh, today. Brendan O'Connor is the Vice President of the GRA, the Garda Representative Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Gardaí are appealing for information following uh, some items uh, that were stolen from a van in Drogheda on Monday evening. This is from the Downs Highlands in Drogheda. The theft happened uh, between six o'clock and half six. That's six o'clock on Monday evening and half six yesterday morning. Uh, The Environmental Protection Agency is warning you that if you come across uh, the items uh, that were stolen, you should be very careful because uh, they are very dangerous and uh, are radioactive. Uh, let's uh, talk to Noel Byrne, who's the programme manager with the EPA. A very good morning to you, Noel, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. This was an unusual theft, obviously. What can you tell us about what was stolen? Yeah, look, the EPA was informed yesterday that had a device called the Troxler Nuclear Moisture Density Gauge containing a radioactive st- source was stolen from a van at a property in Drogheda on the overnight of the 28th of February into the 1st of March. Now, this gauge is used for engineering purposes to determine the capacity of compacted material, maybe such as Tarmacadam and Road, so it's something that's used in engineering. It was stored in a locked, bright yellow case which has the three file radiation symbols on it. So that's what the public should keep an eye out for. And if they want to see an image, it's on the EPA's Twitter feed, at EPA Ireland, or on our press release on our website, uh, www.epa.ie. Now, it's highly probable that the people who stole this won't realise what they've stolen or the potential risk that they've created for themselves. So. Mm that's an issue that we, that we need to see addressed. I'm sure that is uh, the case based on what you've just said. Uh, is it a, an unusual device? Uh, I think a, a lot of ears will perk up at the mention of nuclear in uh, the name of this device. No, it, it's not an unusual device. Look, there's about 12 different companies in Ireland that have these devices, and they say they're used in engineering to test the density of compacted material. So there would be about 28 of them in the country. Um, but I guess, look, at the issue here, obviously, look, at this one has been stolen. And really what I want to do here, like, the risk to people associated with this is, it's based on the time and your proximity to the source. So... If people keep their distance maybe greater than five, minima- five metres from the source and minimise your time near it, it'll have little or no effect on you. However, if someone opens the box and attempts to access the radiation source, they could potentially exceed their annual dose limit in approximately 12 minutes. Okay. And, you know, if you get greater exposures, what this, I suppose the risk it creates for someone is that that person, over their individual lifetime, the risk of developing cancer increases. So the higher the, the exposure, the greater the risk of potentially de- developing cancer down the line. So our advice, uh, I suppose, particularly for the people who maybe stole this, please let it known to Gardaí where to, it is at so it can be recovered for your own sake and even for that of the general public. Now, if the item is discarded and a member of the public comes across it, what we would advise here, look, at, don't interfere with it. Maintain a safe distance and immediately contact the Gardaí at Drogheda or any other Garda station for that matter or contact the office of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, because our priority in that of the Gardaí at this moment in time is to ensure that this radioactive source is found and returned to the company safely and securely to protect uh, public health. Uh, and it's only dangerous, is it, if the case is opened? Yeah, look, and, and you keep a distance. So if you are beside mm. it and it is locked, you 
will get a slight dose of radiation oh. that won't affect you for a number of hours. So that's now if you're within one metre of it. Um, you know, and then, as I say, you wouldn't breach the limit for maybe greater than 10 hours, Michael. So, But it's really, if you start to open it and start to, if you like, tamper with the device, that's when the risk increases and you could actually obviously get a greater level of exposure than you should. Mm. So, and the best thing to advise for listeners today it's a locked, bright yellow case and it has those radiation, the tree file radiation symbols. So if you see anything like that in your area, you know, that's, look, at make it known to the Gardaí or to the EPA. And it's okay. quite likely now that this will be discarded by the people mm, that sold mm. it. It will come up in an area. So look, at the best people now who can help um, solve this now is the general public. So I'd ask everyone to be vigilant. Yeah, well, you'd imagine if they open it, they think, what's that? What can I do with that? And uh, is there anybody yeah, I can really, sell it to? And they wouldn't know what to do next. Uh, is the case easily opened? No, it is locked. There's two locks on it, but that doesn't mean if someone had the intent to open it. Would you open it with a sledgehammer, for example? Yeah, I'd say it could yeah, easily. Right, okay, because I imagine if somebody went to the bother of robbing it out of the back of a van, uh, which I think was uh, the case, they'd be quite happy to do that, thinking that there might be something of value in it. Uh, if you come across it and it's open, keep your distance as well and contact the guardie in the first instance? Yeah, absolutely, or else copy the Office of EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Okay, and can it pose a, a risk elsewhere? I mean, if it's dumped in a, a river or something like that? Yeah, we're looking for wherever it's left. It will, you know, the immediate surroundings of it's left on a piece of ground. The immediate surroundings would obviously get that little bit of radiation. But wherever it's picked up, the company concerned, you know, are on standby to go pick it up. And they'll have the proper protocols to deal with how it should be recovered and brought back safely and securely to the premises. And they can obviously test the surrounding area then just to see if there's any, you know, radiation in that area so they do a kind of radiation survey to see look at is there any level of radiation in that space but it shouldn't cover it would only be a small distance in that particularly if it's intact um, so that's something that's why we'd like to secure to make sure that those all those surveys are done and you can do as well it's called a wipe test on on the piece on the box to see has there been any leakage or that so if it's intact we'll know once we test it has any of the radiation leaked out of it okay so it's a yellow box about what size that's about two foot long, a foot high, and maybe a foot wide as well. You'd not, notice not a very big box, mm. and you'd know the symbols on it. So there'd be symbols; those radiation symbols are on a few of the sides of it. Yeah, it would catch your eye by the sounds of it, uh, because Absolutely. of the colour and the radiation symbols. Uh, and if you see such a, a box, and uh, undoubtedly, as you say, one of our listeners uh, or one of their neighbours uh, will come across this, uh, given that it was stolen in Drogheda and uh, perhaps uh, they'd be good enough uh, to make contact with the Gardaí immediately so that this can be dealt with because it sounds uh, as though it's very, very dangerous and of concern to you. Uh, Noel, thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. That's uh, Noel Byrne, who's uh, the programme manager with uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. And if you do uh, want to make contact with the Gardaí, if perhaps you have this and uh, you want to leave it somewhere and tell them where it is you can ring them confidentially on 1-800-666-311 that's 1-800-666-311 now let me bring you some of the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning John in Navin listening to us uh, talking uh, about uh, the Ukraine and politicians talking about Ukrainian independence he thought it was hypocritical to hear German politicians talking about Ukrainian independence uh, given uh, what happened uh, in the 1940s uh, Marie Brazel was in touch too and uh, she called us about Jim Roach of the Irish anti-war movement to say that that was the first sensible view that she's heard since the threat 
of invasion and the invasion itself uh, beginning. Uh, thanks uh, for that, uh, Marie. Uh, another call to us uh, this morning from Cahill, who's in Mornington. He actually texted on WhatsApp and he says, the time for sitting on our hands has come and gone. The argument about neutrality is a mute point when American soldiers use Shannon on their way to Afghanistan and Iraq. How can we be neutral with Russian-backed actors attacked and crippled our health service? Europe needs to unite and take down uh, the psychopathic, maniacal uh, madman that Putin is. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for those strong thoughts uh, and for sharing them with us with uh, your WhatsApp message today, Cahill. Uh, another comment uh, from Seamus, who's in Dundalk. Seamus says, Ireland may be neutral, but we are and can support the Ukrainians in their hour of need in lots of ways. Russia must be stopped. It is just horrifying to see what is happening. Thanks, uh, Seamus, uh, for that. I don't know. Are we neutral? I'm not sure we are neutral if uh, we're sending soldiers some helmets uh, to wear in the fight in the war uh, against Ukraine. And that is certainly where some of our 10 million euro is uh, being spent in that European package. Anyway, if you have been in touch with us today, thanks for your call, your text, your WhatsApp, or if you've been in touch by social media, as the case may be, it's always good to hear from you. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, today is National No Smoking Day and smoking does have a dreadful impact on people. This is uh, what uh, the Eructus Committee on Health was told yesterday by the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland. They were saying that doctors deal with uh, the impact of smoking every day, the negative health impacts. Uh, GPs are dealing with problems that arise because of people smoking. People are sick in hospital. And doctors have to break the news of the death of a loved one to people on a daily basis because of their smoking habits. Our first recommendation is the inclusion of nicotine and health products under selected existing heads of bill. That's uh, to do with a new legislation that's coming into play. And this is Professor Des Cox who was speaking to that committee yesterday saying that vaping products should be dealt with in the same way as nicotine products. The second recommendation we have is increasing the prohibition of the sale of tobacco and nicotine inhaled products from 18 to 21 years of age. Countries such as the US and Singapore have implemented a Tobacco 21 policy and recent evidence suggests that tobacco product smoking reduced among 18 to 20 year olds as a result. And as a result, he says, treat vaping products like tobacco. We prohibit the sale of nicotine inhaled products, flavourings, apart from tobacco flavoured products. Adolescents are more likely to initiate nicotine inhaled products use through, fl- through flavoured products relevant to other age groups. While adults may also enjoy flavours, the risk of nicotine inhaled products initiation in adolescents and young adults outweigh the benefit for, of ex-smokers using flavoured products. Finland's 2016 ban on flavours did not result in less smokers using nicotine inhaled products as a quitting tool. Okay, all right. There's uh, the facts of uh, the matter and uh, you'd wonder why there's flavours in these vaping products to begin with, uh, especially if they're to help people to give up smoking. Why make them pleasurable? It makes a lot of sense not to have flavours in them and that, that would stop people taking them up as a habit in themselves and then they could be used at the same time by smokers as an aid for quitting, doesn't it? The same restrictions on advertising and marketing of tobacco products should be applied to nicotine and ale products. 
Currently, point-of-sale and billboard advertisements have the potential to attract non-smokers to try nicotine inhale products. Marketing across social media platforms for nicotine inhale products remains unregulated. It often appears that these products are being sold as an alternative to tobacco smoking rather than solely as a stop smoking aid. We wholeheartedly support this bill as an important milestone in tobacco control legislation in Ireland. Enacting this bill into law would align Ireland with many of our counterparts across the EU and in the UK. It will lead to decreased prevalence of tobacco smoking and will deliver a significant child protection measure against nicotine addiction. A child protection measure, interestingly put by Professor Des Cox. Now, John Mallon is a spokesperson for Forest Ireland, uh, the Smokers Lobby Group. Good morning to you, John, and thanks for joining us. I take it you don't agree with any of those four recommendations. (laughs) Are we talking specifically now about these things, yeah? Well, we're talking about everything, aren't we? Okay. Well, uh, where, where you introduced it um, in regard to e-cigarettes. E-cigarettes are, are nearly 20 years old now. Do you know anything about the background to them? In what way? Well, it, it was actually invented by a Chinese guy. He was a smoker and he was, uh, he was a bit of a scientist in his spare time. And he wanted to quit smoking. So he's, he came up with the idea of creating some sort of a thing that would help him. Mm. And it needed, his criteria at the time, it needed to be the shape of a cigarette. Uh, it needed to, you know, to hold in his fingers, to mm. put in his mouth and all that sort of stuff. It needed to ape a cigarette. But the big danger um, that had been identified at the time uh, was in the cigarette smoke. It, cigarette smoke is where all the carcinogens, you know, you hear about the, the carcinogenic um, mm. materials in, in, in tobacco. That's in the smoke. Um, it's not carcinogenic until you light it, and as soon as you light it, then that, that's, where, that's where your your problems arise. Well, there's concern about what's in uh, the vaping products, uh, and uh, that's why people are concerned about young people taking them up as a habit. Why would young people want to take up vaping uh, if they've never smoked it is a very reasonable question, and uh, there's undoubtedly a very strong move uh, to target young people, uh, and one of uh, the things uh, that these companies are doing are putting flavours <laughs> into these things things which are meant to aid smokers quit. So why put flavours into them? If smokers want to quit, they wouldn't be used to having uh, strawberry in their cigarettes, would they? <laughs> well, um, in fact, mint in cigarettes or um, mint flavours in cigarettes were very common for a long time. Flavours are not uncommon. Do you know anything about the NRT business, the, the nicotine replacement therapy in the pharmacies? What's that got to do with uh, what uh, the Royal well, College of Physicians are saying? They're, they're products that are designed uh, to, to help smokers to quit. Yeah. You're familiar with those? Oh, very familiar with them. You've uh, all sorts of things. You've patches and chewing gum. and Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all flavoured. Um, and the reason that well, The flavored, patches aren't flavoured, uh, but uh, I mean, the flavours of uh, the chewing gum aren't particularly nice, are they? I don't know. I haven't tried them. I haven't tried the chewing gum. I tried the patches. They, I'm not sure if they were flavoured. Mm. Uh, they might be the exception. But in the event, um, flavouring, there's hardly a food that we, we have in our, our fridges that hasn't got flavouring in it. Flavouring is to attract people to a product. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, it's to, in this case of, of e-cigs, it's to attract smokers. Smokers won't be naturally attracted. And I know many smokers uh, who've contacted us and told us they've tried these cigarettes and they don't work for them. Uh, in my own case, I tried them and they did work for me. But I didn't want flavours. <laughs> I actually had no interest in flavours at all. Um, but some people do and some people don't. So there isn't any sort of uniform thing. Um, I listened to the debate yesterday uh, in, in, uh, in the Dáil 
and uh, that you give them one side of the story, the other side of the story where the actual vape uh, shops uh, were represented. The vested uh, interest who were selling these things, uh, but I mean... Yeah, they're selling them, but they, these people were asked the question, uh, and a fair question to ask, what they do to prevent young people uh, from buying the, these things. Remember, these things aren't, you know, you don't have to smuggle these things like, like you do... With no, you can just buy them on the internet, uh, and most yeah, of these the people sell online, and they can't do anything to stop young people from buying them online. The thing to do, uh, if well, you don't want people to take up vaping, no. is to make them unattractive for young people to vape. Well, if you make them unattractive, smokers won't take them up, and they'll just continue smoking cigarettes. Why? Why, 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 why do you think that would be the case? Uh, I don't think uh, smokers. I don't think smokers are trying to replace one costly habit with another costly habit, equally as costly. I think what they're trying to do is to give up cigarettes. Well, now hang on a tick. You, 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 you've said it to me before many times that uh, nicotine is, is absolutely deadly uh, addictive. Yeah. Now, if it is, uh, what smokers are trying to do, perhaps, uh, is to is to quit the smoke element. Uh, addiction is one thing and addiction won't, won't kill you and that's how a lot of these uh, nicotine treatment things work and e-cigarettes would fit into that uh, and vaping and, uh, and so on because exactly. what you're doing is you're feeding your nicotine habit uh, but you're breaking the habit of smoking cigarettes and uh, that makes the first step uh, no. that bit easier to do so then, <laughs> but because that, but that is the point of them now after that you talked about online there. But the guy spoke yesterday, uh, the, vape, the vape vendors, uh, about the shops, their own shops, and about people coming in, and they, they have all sorts of ways of preventing young people from getting their hands on it. Online is more difficult. They're looking at a system now, a verification system, but verification systems on the Internet are very difficult for everybody. How do you prevent young people uh, getting into areas? You, know, you, well, both, you, ban, you, you could ban the sale of cigarettes online, couldn't you? No, you couldn't. The internet is worldwide. You can't ban them online. Uh, it wouldn't work. It's quite Why not? Simple. Sorry? Why not? Because they'd slip through. Who, who would, how would they slip through? They'd only slip through if uh, people were breaking the law. Well, uh, uh, very much the same as, as, as ordinary tobacco. You put the price up. Uh, you, make, you make it very difficult to, to, to acquire them. Uh, and the smuggled variety comes from in. Mm. Uh, you'd have the same with e-cigarettes. You'd have guys selling e-cigarettes. And why not? It's, it's, you know, <laughs> that's what they would do. Now, you, you'd like to keep the thing legal. Um, e-cigarettes are designed specifically for smokers to try to attract them. Um, and they, they should be flavoured. They should anything that would attract smokers. Well, I, now, think, it, I think it people, gives people... I, I don't think they're trying to attract smokers. That's just... Of course they are. But why, what else would they be doing? There are an awful lot of smokers out there, Michael, that don't know anything about e-cigarettes. There's an awful lot of them think they're just another brand of ordinary cigarette. So they are trying to attract them, and they are trying... Right, well, 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 why can't we stop that, if nothing else? Uh, I mean, smokers are bad enough with cigarettes because you see people smoking and vaping. Um, So why not just stop attracting people to vaping and uh, and offer e-cigarettes as a, a way, another way of helping you to quit in the same way as you can use patches or chewing gum or some of these other uh, nicotine replacements? Um, well, it could be because we live in a free country. <laughs> we live in a democracy. We're a capitalist nation. We have choice. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't, I, I don't I get spo- too basic, but I mean... Okay, well, okay, well, 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 okay while you're being basic, uh, does that uh, apply to Professor Des Cox, who was talking about 
the physicians, because he's a member of the Royal College of Physicians, uh, who have to work in the hospitals with the people who are dying of cancer and other cigarette-related illnesses and then have to break the news to their families that they've died because they were smokers. Is that, is that the kind of free choice? Michael, that's all very dramatic. 80 people a day die in Ireland, every day. And doctors all over the country are breaking that information. And it's not, it doesn't matter what somebody died of. Uh, it's always a very sad thing. But if it's an unnecessary death, it does matter. Uh, And of course it's always sad, but if it's unnecessary, uh, well then you should act if you can find a way of preventing it. And if you can stop young people being interested in vaping and smoking and all of that, surely that's a a good thing to do. And there are loads of ways of doing that. The most important one of all is education. If you can educate a young person uh, to, to know their own mind, and you can educate them for that very first cigarette that's offered to them, uh, to make their own decision and to make a wise decision on it. You'll do far better well, than trying to prevent them having tried it. Stop any buying c- anybody buying cigarettes or vaping products, products until they're 21. Um, that's what uh, the professor is saying. He's saying um, take the flavours out of all of these things, out of uh, the, the menthol, I suppose, if you want, out of the cigarettes and all of the strawberries and whatever else out of uh, the vaping things and stop them uh, being allowed to advertise these products. Stop them from targeting people with these products. They're not targeting Well, you said it. They're, they're targeting smokers. <laughs> well, That's don't. who they're targeting. They're targeting people who, who these things were designed for, who these things are there to try to help. That's what they're doing. They're, they're not targeting young people. If young people are trying to... Young people will naturally be curious. They're curious about tobacco. They're curious about alcohol. They're curious about everything. And they will try to get their hands on things to try them. That's very difficult to prevent. And it doesn't matter whether you make it illegal or not. I mean, it's illegal for kids under 18 to smoke. And that's when, according to, to Professor Cox yesterday, most people uh, had their first cigarette well before 18 years of age, someone as low as 14. So, you know, you'd like to be doing something that might have a chance of working rather than doing something that, that, that shows that you're trying to do something. Mm. Uh, well, maybe if you increase the age to 21, uh, they wouldn't start till they're 18. Uh, and maybe if that was the case, they'd have enough sense when they're 18 not to start at all. Well, if they had the right education, Michael, perhaps they would. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment, John. Thank you indeed for joining us. As always, John Mallon, spokesperson for Forest Ireland, the Smokers Lobby Group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, thanks uh, to Marion, who's been on the phone. She says, I've always smoked and quite heavily, but I have cut down to about eight a day. It's my own business. I'm sick of people giving out about smokers. I know it's not good for you, but I've tried lots of times to stop altogether and I've never been able. If I wasn't smoking, I'd be eating nonstop and piling on the weight. And that wouldn't be good for you either. Uh, Frank says uh, a lot of people die from other things and sometimes by choice. Uh, Richie and Dunleer uh, said he wanted to comment about manure and smoking, but I didn't quite understand that, Richie and Dunleer. Uh, somebody else said, if God wanted us to smoke, he'd have put a chimney on our heads. Well, thank you indeed uh, for sharing those thoughts with us. Uh, following on from Jim Roach's interview this morning, that's uh, Jim Roach of uh, the Irish anti-war movement. Paddy Duffy was texting us and he says what will Jim do if Putin comes knock knock knocking on his door will he move
moved to San Francisco with some flowers in his hair. Thanks, uh, Paddy, uh, indeed, uh, for that thought. Well, as you know, Ukraine wants uh, to join the European Union and uh, it's asked that MEPs would consider that. Uh, Here's uh, the response from one of uh, the biggest parties in the European Parliament. Manfred Weber for the EPP group. The 24th of February, significant date in Europe and the world. War has returned to Europe. And of course, it seems what we're doing here, it hardly measures up to what the Ukrainians are now doing. So right now we're focusing on our admiration for the Ukrainians with their president leading them, their, their strength, their love of liberty, their decisiveness. They are the heroes of the European way of life. The 24th of February is a day of freedom for Europe, from Dublin to Athens, from Lisbon to Riga. And the same feeling of shock everywhere, dismay with this aggression. At the, at the, on the other hand, admiration for the people of Ukraine. They're fighting for us, they're fighting for our values. These days, this Kiev moment of the 24th of February makes everyone European. This moment forces us to give clear answers. When President Zelensky asks us, are we welcome? May we become members of the EU? Do we belong? Then I say on behalf of the largest party of Europe, yes, you are welcome. Yes, you belong to the European Union. You are friends. That's a clear and unequivocal response from Manfred Weber of the EPP. Fine Gael is a member of the EPP and Colin Markey is a Fine Gael MEP. He joins us now and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us after a dramatic and emotional day, an extraordinary day, I think, in the European Parliament yesterday. Oh, it certainly was. Like, I, I suppose I arrived over here on Monday, and from when I left it last week, we were in Strasbourg, so we were at home actually last week and week before in Strasbourg. But the mood when we got back here was completely different to the mood we had left here a couple of weeks ago. And I think definitely it's a very somber mood in Europe. I think there's a recognition that this might be Ukraine, but in a way, it's a it could be a, a gateway to, 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 to similar sort of problems arriving on Europe, Europe's door, and that's that's the real concern that's there. So everybody everybody is very, like, has great admiration, as I said there in the comments, a, for, for the, what's happening in Ukraine, for the people making a stand, and also very nervous about where this could go, because yeah. there's a fear it could, it could escalate and where would that lead to. Okay. Uh, would they not be better surrendering? surrendering? I don't think so. Well, I don't. Uh, look, that's up to people to decide what they want. But I think if they surrender and you, you capitulate to an oligarch or to a, mm. a, a dictator, if you like, a, to an autocracy, there's no doubt that that's not good for any of us. Like, if we believe in democracy and we believe in, in the values of Europe, then I think it's 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 not to, to concede to something like that. Like if they do, do we believe in democracy and the values of, of Europe or, or to what extent do we believe in democracy and the values of Europe? Oh, and we certainly, I think in Europe, yes, certainly we, we, we have great belief in the values of Europe. But, and I think certainly like the, the people of Ukraine 
are looking to, to, to progress that road. I suppose if you look at the situation in Ukraine, it's it's like it seems 2014, 2014, like it's a divergence in the road. It's, it's either to go to, closer to Russia or to come closer to Europe. And I think if they come closer to Europe, it's about... But, but as things stand, they're going to be occupied by Russia. They, they will uh, become a, a region of Russia. And the country of Ukraine would disappear in that situation. That's, that's, sure that's the point. And the adult, adult population of Ukraine will disappear with it. Uh, this is suicide. There's no, there's no way we could entertain a notion of them becoming uh, accepting this. Because apart from the fact of uh, the, the desperate humanitarian situation that would be uh, faced by the people of the Ukraine, it also suggests the only way you deal with, it with an aggressor like this is to, is to challenge them. And uh, if we if we don't if, we, if 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 Ukraine was to to accede to all that and and Europe was to let that happen, then the question is where would it be next? So there's a clear need for everybody at European level to recognise the important stand that this represents. Okay, but I think you've already said you're worried as things stand about where is next after Ukraine. I think that's that's the worry. Like, yeah, like, that's the, that's the worry that you're sensing uh, amongst the MEPs. I think there's a sense among the MEPs that maybe not today or tomorrow, but the signal that mm. would send out if, if Ukraine was to, to fall, a, there certainly would be other countries in that part of the world mm. uh, that, that would be under similar pressure. And even possibly countries within the EU would feel... And it is a question of when rather than if, and that it will take some time, and during that time the male adult population of Ukraine will be obliterated. That is, it's unbelievable what we're facing, and it is, it is a, that, that is the problem. And I suppose Europe has to look at what its response is to, to in some way, support them. And it, 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 it's a balance between, if you like, a, trying to support the people in Ukraine and not call, making the situation worse in relation to, let's say, escalation from the Russian side. And, like... Well, I mean, you've just outlined the situation that can't get any worse. Oh, it could get worse. There's no doubt. It could. It could certainly get worse. Like, like it. It could be like put it like this. People are talking about a a, a no-fly zone over over Ukraine, and you, if you implement that, that brings the like of we'll say NATO or someone into, into play to to uh, to control that, and then what are you going to get into? fighting with, with Russian jets in the air that would be for the escalation for the escalation from that mm. it, it, it could certainly get worse no yeah. doubt. so for all of Europe's fine words it's really empty rhetoric isn't it because the bottom line is that Europe and America is not willing to face into a nuclear war and that's completely understandable but that's the situation so Ukraine is on its own and good luck to it no, well, I think the, your preface, we don't want to es- cause escalation into what could ultimately turn into a, a very serious war, whether you say nuclear or not. But there are many things we can do. And there, is, like, there is support being provided by, by many countries across Europe in terms of, let's say, armaments and the like. And equally, the, the, the sanctions, while people might say sanctions will be slow to act, but in the current situation where you're looking at oligarchs who have, appear to have significant influence mm. with Putin, that, that you would feel that they, and you look at the impact on, let's say, interest rates in Russia, mm. the stock exchange being closed. Clearly, if, I would say if sanctions were ever going to work, 
this is the chance that they may actually work. It will take time, but in the meantime, any support that can be given to the Ukraine people, that's that's what Europe is intending to do. Okay, but the blood will flow, and that's if uh, they work. If uh, they don't work, when will the time come to say, well... We need to do something other than sanctions and act as spectators. Would that be when Putin moves his nuclear missiles into Ukraine or into Belarus? I think you just have to look and uh, consider it each day as it comes and, and, and take it one step at a time. But certainly, like, I think it puts into, into perspective the, the relative peace well, we've had. I'd imagine the Russians would love to hear a, a message like that. Sorry. I, I say, I imagine, I imagine the Russians would love to hear, well, we'll take it a, a day at a time and uh, play catch-up after they've done whatever it is they're going to do next. No, no, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't suggest it like that, certainly not. I think, the, in fairness, the, the, the level of news with regard to sanctions, the level of support that's been provided by Europe to Ukrainian people it is quite significant. The extension of, of a, inviting them to... To move towards membership of the EU, all these things are significant. And I think. And what difference will it make yeah. if Ukraine becomes yeah. a member of the European Union? Sorry. What difference will it make if Ukraine becomes a member of the European Union? Well, I think in France, if they like, then then it becomes the responsibility of Europe as a whole to manage to to support a member state. And, right. Like, there's a difference between what we can do to with Ukraine, uh, like from a European perspective, but equally NATO from their perspective. So are, are we going to war then? I wouldn't say we're going to war at all. But like mm. at the end of the day, it just depends where, where things develop. Like Ukraine accession to Europe won't happen overnight. Well, if we go to war, undoubtedly Ireland will be part of that war, given that Ireland has put an end to any uh, thoughts that this is a neutral country. I wouldn't say that. It still remains within a constitution therefore neutral. We yeah, yeah, well, I, I think when you buy helmets for soldiers who are fighting a war, you're not a neutral country. But at the, at the end of the day, it, it, it would be ultimately, I would imagine, NATO that would act, would act in that situation. And you know, uh, Ireland is not a member of NATO. Like, we have a very significant role to play as a neutral country as it is, in terms of the, the role we're playing is a more humanitarian role in terms of this, and a peacekeeping role in general is very important. You don't believe we're a neutral country now, do you? I do think in the bigger picture in the longer term, we certainly have to consider a, what, like, our neutrality and how effective our... Or, or Do you believe way. Ireland is a neutral country? If Ireland is sending blood uh, to uh, help uh, with uh, the war effort, I wouldn't say there has been uh, like I wouldn't say there has been like blood. There are from humanitarian support for people who are injured in, in, in a war, and I think that's that's not taking sides. But like we'd be naive to think that from an Irish perspective, I think if you're a truly neutral country. You have to be fit to defend your own your own territory. In other words, you can't be dependent on anybody else. That is not the situation in Ireland. We we do rely on the, the goodwill of, of let's say associates or friends. So that that does impact on our neutrality. And I suppose we have to be realistic about that. And I think there is a conversation to be had about neutrality. But I do think that the, the, the flip side of that argument is that Ireland's role as a neutral country over the over the years and a peacekeeping force uh, and a a voice, a, a, a voice of peace rather than a voice of violence has been very important over the years. That said, like, it is somewhat underpinned by the support of other countries. So it's, it, we probably aren't, in terms of neutrality, it's a very complex scenario, but one of the, one of the 
academic, uh, if you like, theories of neutrality is that you have to be able to control your old ballers. And, and, mm. uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think it is that uh, complex. And I, I don't think we can regard ourselves to be a neutral country, uh, um, given that we've contributed to, to the package that will help to arm the Ukrainian army, and uh, whilst we're being told uh, that we're not involved in the purchase of lethal weapons, our money is going into that package and it'll buy helmets for the soldiers and so on. I don't think there's any question of us being a neutral country. I'm sure there's plenty of people who uh, would argue otherwise. Yeah, I think there are people who would argue both sides of this. I think we're in a, in a difficult situation. I think certainly our neutrality role, which is underpinned by the Constitution, has been very important over the years. And I wouldn't just disregard it based on the, the actions of the last couple of weeks. But certainly I think we do we do have a responsibility to pay some level of support role to stop an aggressor in the world. Whether we can do that through a through a peace a peaceful means which we're endeavouring to do in a minute remains to be seen. But I would think certainly there's an important role to play in that way. Okay. But as Europe as a whole it needs to protect its border, it needs to support the the, the right to democracy and freedom. And I think that is that is central as well. So it is. A, it, we are. We do find ourselves in a in a, in a difficult situation in yeah. terms of whether or not where, where we go in terms of neutrality. Yeah. Like as the world develops, like it's clear that let's say we are dependent on others to a to defend the, the integrity of the EU and of Europe as a whole, and whether we can legitimately be part of that and remain neutral is a question that probably still needs to be bottomed out, if you like. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. That's Fine Gael MEP Colin Markey. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, regular listeners uh, to this programme won't forget when we spoke a few weeks ago to the mother of a 14-year-old girl uh, and how concerned she was. I think everybody ended up being very concerned and uh, we heard from so many people following on from that discussion hoping that there would be help for that little girl. Uh, we called this woman Mary to protect the identity of uh, the juvenile and... Uh, there has been uh, some progress since, uh, I'm glad to say. Uh, and let's uh, hear from Mary once again. Good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for coming back to us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, your daughter has been in the Lord's Hospital since we last spoke to you, uh, but she's been assessed. Finally, she's been assessed. She has, yes, Michael. Uh, tell us tell us what the situation is then at the moment. Uh, she had a video call assessment and they are trying to organise a plan. There's another meeting now this morning uh, because it's so complex of a situation with the ED, which is the eating disorder, and the mental health. They have to try and find the best possible plan for her, you know, to get her the, the help that she really needs. And because she still has such strong thoughts of suicide, so there's another meeting now this morning and I'll know this morning now of the outcome of where they go from here. Okay. But they are intending to admit her? They are intending to admit her, yeah. It's finding a place for her? It's finding a bed available, yeah, for her. It's going to have Dervla. Uh, she is very down and they did tell her that she wouldn't be going home. But unfortunately... There is very little beds for all our children, and it's it's very hard for me because I'm sitting thinking now. There's some other child somewhere else that needs the bed, and it's like you're kind of picking and choosing 
he's sick or he's sicker or he gets the bed. Stressful, so, isn't it? It's very stressful. It's very stressful because you wouldn't wish it on any parent. Hmm. Any yeah. parent. And I'm not the only parent that's like this today. No, I know. We heard so, from so many people who were... It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It, 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 it's absolutely heartbreaking. And, you know, you, you want to have so much, but you feel useless. And is this how this country works? Is this how it operates? Is this how you get a, a bed? Unfortunately, there is none. Unfortunately, there is no beds. Mm. There is a very limited amount of beds. And it, it's no fault of the people that are trying to help at the minute. Like the Lourdes Hospital are keeping her safe. They've kept her safe for the last three weeks for me. They've kept her alive for the last two years of this. But there is just no beds available. There needs to be more beds for our children available. There needs to be more help for them. Early intervention is the key. And unless you get early intervention two years later, this is where I am. Hmm. How long is your daughter in the Lord's Hospital now? She'll be there three weeks on Friday coming. And she they wanted to discharge her about two weeks ago, was it? They did, and I said no, because yeah. I knew I couldn't keep her safe. And that's a horrible feeling for a mother. And there's no reason. There's no reason physically for her to be in the Lord's Hospital. Uh, she's clinically discharged. She is clinically discharged. And they wanted to discharge her. You said no because you were concerned that your daughter would end her life. Uh, yeah. We should mention to anybody listening uh, uh, that if they want to talk to somebody, the Samaritans are at the end of the phone on one one six one two three. That's one one six one two three. But uh, they said, well, there's no point in her being here and you said well she has to go somewhere she was getting uh, an hour's counselling once a week uh, through CAMS yeah and there was no future for her as far as you were concerned so after two weeks then of being in the hospital for no reason three weeks altogether two weeks after her being clinically discharged uh, they've said that they've assessed her now which hadn't happened over the last two years and they've concluded that she should be admitted to a psychiatric unit. Yes. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You've had a very, very hard and long journey uh, trying to look after and you've done so well. Um, But I think what I'm hearing from you is uh, that you feel the way I do, that people shouldn't have to come on the radio and tell very, very personal stories like this in order to get a bed for the children. I don't feel as if I should have had to fight for my child's life. I don't feel as if I had to put my other three kids through this. And we live in a, a small area and everybody knows, like everybody knows, tr- probably through to my daughter as well because of social media, it's a virus in itself. But I don't feel as if we as parents, not just me, need to keep fighting. There's nobody knows their child better than their own mother and father. And to live what we've lived for the last two years, I feel as if I had got the help, I wouldn't be here today facing this predicament and letting it get to the stage it is at. A lot of people were very moved uh, when you spoke to us the last time, not just for your daughter, but for you as well. And they were concerned about you because you've been through so much and it's been so much to contend with. How are you? Yeah, um, how would you say? I'm relieved nervous there's a lot of emotions going through me right now 
but I just want her to get to have the cheese so desperately needs. And then maybe I can concentrate on a normal way of living for the other three. Yeah, that sounds almost like a, a dream uh, because uh, you've been through a nightmare. I just want off the end of it. Yeah. I want the family off the end of it. I want her to see that she has so much to live for, even though right now she doesn't think she's anything to live for. Yeah, and that's why she's being admitted. Yeah. Uh, and thank God for that. Uh, and hopefully uh, we'll th- this will give all of you uh, a chance um, to get your lives back together. It's been so hard. And, you know, uh, I'm glad we were able to have facilitated it. At the same time, I'm very sorry that we imposed on your um, no, personal, thank you very personal much. things. You know. Thank you yeah. so much no, for no, hearing it no. and, mm. and get, trying to help me get our help. Yeah. And... I thank you to all the listeners and keep praying yeah. and I will pray for every other mother and father that's out there just like me yeah. well listen thank you for making us understand what it means what what, what these problems in the mental health service particularly in uh, the child and adolescent mental health services mean uh, because you made it crystal clear to all of us and thank you for that because that was a public service that you did and thank you Mary for joining us today thank you very much the Samaritans can be reached on 116123. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.